Well, good morning again, and it's a joy to look out and see those faces out there. <laughs> Lots of great smiles. And uh, I was thinking of all those online with us today or listening uh, later in the week. Uh, we love you too, and we know it's an important ministry uh, that our audio video team does and gets the word out, and we are thankful uh, for that volunteer team and Pastor Mark and all those individuals. And uh, we think of you too and hope and believe this word uh, will be a breakthrough for you. Well, here we are, eight years later. Eight years ago, Katrina and I came up on this stage for the very first time. I think we had stools, and it was like a casual setting. And uh, everyone wanted to know, who's this uh, new guy? And they had known Katrina uh, before that, of course, but we were coming back. And uh, who's this Yank? Yeah, who's this, who's this American coming to our church? And here we are eight years later. I remember sitting on those stools and looking out over the audience and the, the church and, and then and asking you guys uh, a question. And I remember asking, uh, would you open your hearts to us? Would you enlarge the circle of your love to include us and our children? And if you'd be willing to do that, we are happy to reciprocate and open our hearts to you as well. That was eight years ago. Our children were younger and smaller. Lucy was six months old, and you said yes by faith, and we accepted that, and it was just a real joy to accept that love, and here we are, and eight years later, we want to share today with you four keys that we picked up over those eight years. Next week, we'll do four more, so there'll be eight things in eight years that we want to share with you, and these are not just like side issues or little things. These are keys in other words, this is what changed our life in the last eight years, and we want to pass those on to you. We want to welcome you to join us in getting a breakthrough to that next level of maturity. I think of this verse a lot of times. It's in John chapter 3, 34. It says that God does not give his spirit in measure. In other words, he's not going to just give just such spirit to me and a little bit of spirit to you. Anyone can have everything in God. You can have just as much of God in your life and maturity than I have today. Everything that we have, you can have, and you can have more of it. There's no measure to the amount of Holy Spirit that can come into your life. The only thing that blocks the Holy Spirit is us having resistance. So today we want to give you four keys to break through to have more of God in your life. Now the thing with keys, it's pretty simple. We're going to describe the keys to you. We're going to tell you even how to use the keys and what doors they go into. But Katrina and I cannot have, uh, do the work for you and have you actually put the key in and turn it. You see how your job is to take the key by faith, put it in the door when it's time, and turn the key. That's your responsibility. Ours is to give you the information and the revelation that God gave us, but it's up to you to turn the key. Are you guys ready to receive the key and to turn it when it's time? Because that, that's, that's your part, and we want to support you in that, but we don't want to steal that joy from you of that journey. So here we go. Katrina's going to start off and, uh, with the first key, and uh, so we're excited for you. Thank you. So several months ago, Mark said to me, oh, the Lord told me what I'm going to speak about in January and those two Sundays, and I was like, 
cool. And he said, eight keys. And I was like, exciting over the eight years we've been here. And he goes, but you're supposed to do four of them. I was like, well, really? I'm glad the Lord told you. I hope he tells me too. So, so here we are. And, uh, and I definitely spent many weeks in prayer asking God, because I think with the new year, we often think about the year previous and we start reflecting on that and we start thinking, how do we learn and grow or change? And this instead required me to go back eight years and say, okay, over eight years, what would I take away as being the four biggest learning lessons in my life? And the first one, the point I'm going to say, my first point is um, asking the wrong question. So that's kind of the little, if you're a note taker, that's what uh, I'm labeling this key. So this is going to be me sharing my story. Um, Like many of you, I wear many, many hats. I'm sure we could start listing out the different hats that we wear. So I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm a all the different things, a sister, a daughter, a friend, you name it, an employee, all these different things. And that started to become who I saw myself as. I defined myself based on the roles that I was playing. I'm sure none of you have ever done that before. I can't be the only one in here who does that. Actually, it's funny that um, Pastor Kevin will often say that men define themselves by the roles they play and women define themselves by their relationships. And I always look at Mark and go, oh, great, here I am a man again. Because I always identify with those parts of it. I'm like, that's just my personality. So I very much saw myself through the lens of who I was or the hats that I was wearing. Um, and sometimes somebody would ask, but, but really, who are you? And I'd you know, list out those things. And then they'd stop and they'd go, but, but who are you? And I'd be like, God, I hate that question. Stop asking. I'd throw my hands up in frustration. And I'd just say, I don't know. I just, I don't. Because somewhere along the way, I lost my sense of who I was. In the midst of parenting and keeping these little human beings alive. And wifing and teaching and all the different roles that I had to play. I really lost me, the core of me. And that's a really hard place to be. And I think parents, moms specifically, I think that's something that we really have to be careful of not allowing ourselves to get lost in the midst of all of the roles that you play. So two weeks before the pandemic hit, so go back to 2020, March break is really when it kind of came to the forefront here in our area. About two weeks before that, um, I found myself facing complete and total exhaustion. I just, all of those hats and all of those roles overwhelmed me completely and I burned out. And I had to take a leave from teaching. <laughs> I brought these up for a reason. I knew it. I said to my sister, I cry like it's a 50-50. I'm going to cry. So here it is. Except I'm not wearing the right mascara. So here's hoping I don't have a full out cry. <sighs> so... This is tender to my heart because my identity was wrapped up in this job. I'm an educator. The core of my being, I'm an educator. And all of a sudden, I had to step away from that. And I was so ashamed. And I had to ask myself, if I'm not a teacher, then who am I? And I hate that question, who are you? So that really was pushing me. My mental health took a nosedive, and I was now facing anxiety for the first time in my life. 
I'd never had it before. I didn't know what panic attacks were. And all of a sudden, I was plagued by this. I had a fear that now my life was going to be defined by my mental illness. And that scared me. So I started to see a counselor. And she asked really great questions, but hard questions. And she asked questions about how I saw myself. (laughs) And I thought, you've got to be kidding. Not this again. Here we go. So add shame to my frustration of not knowing how to answer that question. I don't know who I am. I'm a 40-something-year-old woman, successful by all the standards and check marks, but I don't have an ability to answer that question. I don't know who I am. In the course of dialogue over those weeks and months with her, she helped me recognize that I'm so much more than the hats that I wear. And that's what I need you to hear today. You are so much more than the roles that you find yourself in or the responsibilities that are on your shoulder. So take whatever it might be. Take blank away. In my case, it was teaching. And I am still a person of great value. And she actually had me repeat several times a mantra. And this is, this is a not faith-based counselor. And we had lovely discussions, but she was totally speaking about my identity. And she said, you are no longer a teacher, you are just someone who teaches. Because everything about me was wrapped up in that identity of being a teacher. And I'm more than just that. So by August of 2020, um, I was a few months into this now healing journey of finding out who I am if you strip teaching away from me. And Pastor Kevin started a series called The Big Three. The question number one was, whose are you? Where do I find my identity? Question number two was, who are you? Where do I find my purpose? Question number three was, to whom are you called? Who do I do life with? So I had been asking the wrong question. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And I was finding my identity in that question. But instead, I needed to find my identity in whose am I? So through Pastor Kevin's teaching, my focus shifted. And I started instead, instead of getting stuck on that stinking question of who are you, that I could answer. That's my purpose. What's your purpose? My purpose is to teach. But whose am I? Now that I could get behind. So through that teaching, I started to recognize and understand I am a daughter. I am a daughter of the high king. I am a daughter of the God of the universe. And I have this really fantastic understanding of God. I see him through a very wonderful lens. He is beautiful, loving, and kind, and I am his daughter. And now the shift went from being a friend of God that I'd spent my entire journey as a, as a saved individual as being a friend of God. Now I'm a daughter. That was a total shift in my perspective. I'm beloved. I'm treasured. I'm sought after by him. I'm desired. I have access to everything the Father has. And not just me, every single one of you. So on this journey of changing that question where my identity was wrapped up in what I did to now my identity is wrapped up in who he is and who I am as a daughter of him. 
So I was praying one day, and I, several years, when I don't know, the first couple of years we got here, Mark had done a, a teaching on chair one, chair two, and chair three, if you were here for that. And chair one is really when you're abiding in that place with Holy Spirit, where you are in communion. I, I really saw that as that picture of a full understanding of who I am as a daughter. Chair two was a perspective of a really content Christian saw themselves as a friend, right? There's so much more. The inheritance, because I'm a daughter versus a friend. So, and then chair three is, is somebody who's sitting on an unbelief. They, they haven't yet understood. So I was really asking God about that. And he gave me this picture in a restaurant and um, it was like a, a feast. Like there was probably like 10 people, 12 people sitting at one of those long tables. And, the, and it was like a family style where there was just food upon food upon food upon food upon food, drinks upon drinks upon drinks. And people were loud and they were having so much fun. And the conversation, the din was literally so loud. And you could, everybody was kind of drawn to that table because you could tell they were in their own little world of just this enraptured with each other and the excitement and the experience of being together. And that was chair one. That was understanding who I was as a daughter. Because everything that the, that the king of the universe, that my father has, is laid before me at that table. And then he also showed me a picture of chair two. Content Christian, but certainly not accessing everything the father has. And that content Christian is sitting at another table, perfectly fine, same restaurant, eating the same food, but it's just that person, one other person. And they can't help but be drawn to the energy that's over at this other table, the excitement, the happiness, the love that's being shared. And I realized, you know what? I want to spend my time at that table, that big table. I'm an introvert, but man, I want to be over there. I want to be surrounded by um, my fellow believers, my brothers and sisters. I want to be accessing everything the Father has for me. I don't want to miss out anymore. I don't want to just do Christianity because it's the thing that I've done. I want to press in deeper and find out what else do I have access to. If he's the king of the universe and I get the inheritance from him, then there is so much more in my walk as a believer. So my identity is tied in whose I am. Because I understand myself as a daughter of the high king, I know now that I lack for nothing. That's point number one. Well, I just applaud that uh, whole question of those three questions and starting off with whose am I? And that's where I want to jump into my first key. This is one of the greatest breakthroughs I've had in the last eight years is, I'll, I'll say it simply like this. When you show up, show up as a son, not as a servant. When you show up, show up as a son or daughter, not as a servant. That's how I do life now. When I show up in a room, I show up as a son. Like Katrina said, that means I'm dearly loved. That means I'm accepted. That means I'm forgiven. That means I'm favored. That means I'm resourced. That means I'm gifted. That means I'm protected. That means I'm not illegitimate, that I have a father and a family. When I enter a room, that's how I come in. 
It's not pride. It's knowing whose you are. I come in the room as a son. For ladies in the house, when you come in the room, you come in as a daughter. You don't come in as a servant. I spent most of my Christianity coming in as a servant. Because there's a lot of Bible verses that say, come in as a servant. Even Jesus in the red letters, and I would read them going, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best servant I can find. And I kept reading those verses, and I was trained to serve. And I would serve, and I would serve. And you can get promoted that way. You can get great work and jobs, and that's good. But it's not where we find our identity. And I made that mistake for years. And I wondered why there was always a little bit of a hollow feeling in the inside. Some emptiness. Because as a servant completes his or her task, it's done. Now you've got to go do another one. And it's kind of endless. But when I found out you could be a son and never leave the house, I got excited. And now, when I leave the house, I leave the house as a son. When I come back to the house, I, come, I enter as a son. When I go to the store, I go as a son. When I go as a volunteer, I go as a son. That looks different for everyone. You know, a son does not ask for permission. A son gives permission. A son knows where he is from, and he knows he's not illegitimate. When I go to Queen Elizabeth Belleville, the school that we support, when I enter that building, I enter as a son. I hope that the staff and students see me as a servant when I come in. But in my heart, I come as a son. I come to serve. It's important that you get that order right when you enter your workplace You might be there as a purpose to serve, but come knowing whose you are as a son or daughter of God. See, a son is deeply loved by their father, and a son refuses to earn his worth or value. You can't earn something that you've freely been given. Let's look at Luke chapter 15 which is the story of the two brothers and their father. The younger brother, after making horrible decisions, he tore apart his own family, dishonored his father, he uh, destroyed his own body and did all kinds of sexually sinful things. He financially went from rich to poor. This guy is not doing well if they were keeping score. He was bankrupt. So now he thought, I've lost my value and worth in my father's eyes. I will return to him as a servant, the Bible says. So he thought, because he'd blown it, now he's going to do life as a servant. But at least he'll have food. He's going to go as a lowly servant. I want to tell you today, that your relationship as a son or daughter of God is not negotiable. You can't earn or lose your sonship in Christ. It's a gift. Once you receive by faith in Jesus Christ becoming adopted son or daughter of God, you can't unson yourself or undaughter yourself. 
It's, it's a legal adoption. It's over. You can't pay it back or earn it back, even if you blow it and make tons of mistakes like this person did in the scriptures. The Father will see you from afar like he did for me. He'll see you. He'll hike his long skirt up, and he'll start running for you. And he'll say, is that my son? Is that my daughter? I've been waiting. I've been longing for you. And he'll run, and he'll jump right up on you, and it's kind of embarrassing because he's affectionate, and he starts kissing you and saying, you're home, you're home, you're home. And you're thinking, I've blown it. I've blown it. I've blown it. You know, I'm dirty. I'm, I, I've made mistakes. I'm a sinful person. Father, uh, can I be the servant? Can I just kind of hide out in the small house outside, get some food? Did the father listen to his son in that story? No. Everyone say no. He didn't say, well, son, go ahead and tell me all about it, how bad a person you are. He acted like the son wasn't even talking. He, he, He turned to his servant, and he said, Kill the fattened calf, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. My son was dead, but now he's alive. Let's make merry in the house. Let's go have a party. So what do you want to do? Do you want to be a son or a servant? It's a pretty good deal, I think. I think it's the good news that Jesus was talking about. There's a new kingdom in town, and Jesus said, if you believe in me, you can become a son or daughter. Sons and daughters show up with wisdom and solutions and provision and honor and security and authority and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. That's how a son and daughter show up. Because it's on the inside of them. It flows from the Holy Spirit inside of you. Servants come to plead their case, to wallow in their sins, and, and, and to, to, to remind you of their guilt and shame as their identity. Do any of you struggle with guilt and shame as a part of your identity? I know I have for many years until I found there was a better way. There was a better chair to sit at. One that you can't earn or deserve. One that's given to you. In Romans 8, 1, we find out there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, once you're in Jesus, you cannot be condemned or the word is damned. You can't be cursed as a son or daughter. It's not an earned deserve program anymore. Do you know that in Romans 8, 19, it says, For creation waits in eager expectation for the children, that's the sons and daughters of God, to be revealed. You know that our created world is waiting for you. To be a servant? No. To be a slave? No. Those verses are all in the Bible, and you can quote them to me, and they're not wrong, but there's a higher seat to sit at. And there's a seat, it says in Ephesians, that we were seated at with Christ in honorable places in the heavenly places. Do you know, once you accept Jesus in your heart, he seats you in honor in heaven, your spirit. Are you living from heaven or are you living from hell? Where do you live from? When you enter a room, are you living from heaven 
with all of its resources? Or are you coming in, you know, it could be politics. It could be this. Could, there's so many things in your heart that you can choose to focus on. I've been there. Every day you've got to make a choice. But if you show up, resource from heaven, your words change. People know where you're from by how you act and how you talk. When you hear me say foyer, instead of foyer, you know I'm from the States. And roof and roof and all this stuff, okay? Creeks and cricks and all this. You know where people are from by how they talk and how they speak. The Bible says once you accept Christ, you're from heaven. Do people think about heaven when you enter the room? Or do they think about hell? Or do they think about brokenness? When you're a son or daughter, heaven shows up. You wear it like a cloak. And your wallet's full of it. And your smiles and your wisdom and your kindness, it's full of heaven. It gets all over people. Because you're a son or daughter. And you're representing your father. The spirit you received, it says in Romans 8.15, does not make you a slave so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 3.1, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has placed upon us that we should be called children of God. Your identity now is when you show up, I'm a child of God. You don't got to tell people. You can show people. It's really fun. When you, next time you're in line and you're shopping, just bless somebody. Just say, I'm going to help that person behind me with their groceries too. I'm not talking about going in debt to do it. I'm talking about get your cash out that you have saved and use it on somebody else. Be simple with this. Be straightforward and just start blessing people. You're blessed to be a blessing. When you make a dinner, make two. Many of you have done that and take it to somebody else. When you're offering to uh, do something fun with your kids, invite someone else's kids over so the other family can have a break. Just do something practical and love on somebody. You're blessed to be a blessing. Another benefit of being a son or daughter of God, that when you walk in that key, the Bible says in Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Do you need some security? Do you need some confidence? Not false pride, not trying to prove yourself, but do you want to have authority to get things done and to help people make life better? That comes from knowing whose you are. I'll close on this key of showing up as a son. And it's Matthew 3.17. It's going to read it to you. I got a new Bible for my wife, so I'm absolutely loving it. says this. This is Matthew 3.17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. This is God speaking from heaven to Jesus who's on earth. This is after he got baptized in water. It says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. One of my favorite verses in the last eight years. Because what God has done for Christ, he wants to do for you. He wants you to have direct access. You know in this verse, right above it, it says that the heavens were opened. I never caught that. Do you want open heavens in your life? 
When you align yourself under authority, Jesus came under the authority of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, don't, no, 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 Jesus, you baptize me. Jesus said, no, I, I am going to do all things righteous. I'm coming under you. Even Jesus knew how to come under authority. Are you living under authority? Or are you doing your own thing? Are you a self-made man or woman and proud of it? Are you ready to humble yourself and let God be your father? We aren't proud of being self-made men and women. That means we were without. We are proud that we've chosen to let men and women of God in our life to father and mother us so that we're not alone. Jesus humbled himself, was baptized. He got direct access, open heavens. The Father's love was public. Are you ready for a public display of God's love in your life? Not private, public. That's how much God loves you. He's going to do it publicly. He's not ashamed of you, in other words. Three, he's going to do it affectionately. This is a real relationship. And it's going to be in your personality, in your style, but God's going to show you love affectionately. And four, he's going to confirm your identity as a son or a daughter. Publicly. These are the processes of coming under God's authority and getting blessed. You have direct access or open heavens. You get publicly affirmed. You get affectionately loved. And your identity as a son or daughter is confirmed. Now, those are all amazing things. And the key is to humble yourself and say, Father, I'm ready for your baptism of love. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now let it go. Go for it. You can do it in your room. You can do it here. You go to God and ask him for that baptism of love. So that's key number two. Show up as a son, not as a servant. Now I just got to find my second notes. Oh, there they are. Yep. Let's use these. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a person of many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. During the pandemic, during all the closures and everything, I was starting to hit walls. I was starting to burn out. As an extrovert and as a pastor, I just wanted to spend time with people, and legally, you weren't even supposed to go out of your house. So I was freaking out. I thought of all of you hundreds of people in your home, and I wasn't supposed to do anything about it. That was just wrong and foreign to me. I hated it. And inside, I started having an internal struggle. Because pastors are supposed to be with people. That's how it works. And this was, I guess, illegal at the time. It was weird. It felt wrong. I was meeting with a few people one-on-one, depending on how the rules were. And those relationships started to break off, and people would leave, and I would invest in someone and help them with their walk. with. And then the next Sunday, they're, they're gone. They're like, well, I'm leaving. I don't, I'm going to a different church or this. And I started getting offended and hurt on the inside. I came to Pastor Kevin's office and knocked on his door, and I was just mad. I said, if this is pastoring, if this is what it is, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I was just frustrated. I'm like, is this, this kind of pain and this, you're loving all these people, but you don't get anything back and there's people scattered all around because of COVID. I said, I don't want to do it. And he goes, I have a few questions for you, Mark. You know, Kevin is. I'm like, oh, great. Here he goes. 
he goes, what, what kind of choices are you making with people, you know? And I'm like, oh. And he starts asking all these questions. And I had a phone call with my good friend Gareth and kind of shared my heart with him. And he kind of prophetically picked up my heart. Because how many know when there's pain, there's always a treasure there to find? I was saying yes too much to people who could not handle my yeses. And here's the key. The Holy Spirit sprang it up with my friend Gareth and Pastor Kevin. It was probably the same day, and with minutes, my life changed. Here's the, here's the word. Here's the key. Love everyone, but invest in a few. Changed my life. Love everyone, but invest in a few. If you're an extrovert like me, you might try to invest in everyone and burn out with everyone. But God taught me during the last three years specifically, love everyone, but invest in a few. How many apostles did Jesus pick, appoint, bless, and spend three years of his life with day-to-day ministry? How many were there? There was 12. How many people did Jesus reveal himself personally to through the scriptures that we know of uh, through some of his extreme highs and, and, and extreme trials, who did he take aside throughout the scriptures? How many men? Three, Peter, James, and John. How many people did Jesus seem to be very close to, like proximity-wise, like a best friend, according to the scriptures? One, John, the gospel, shares in the gospel of John. John described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a pretty good description, isn't it? of himself. And here's the challenge. Some of us are 12 men shallow, but we're not one person deep. 12 men shallow, but we're not even one deep. And dear God, help us. We're not even deep with our own spouses. It starts at home. We're doing so many other things and and it starts at home. We're trying to change the world, and we haven't even focused on our own wife and children or, or spouse and children. Even Jesus picked 12. Yes, he had other larger groups. He had the 70 and the 500. There was also, I will mention, he had the amazing, uh, those, the women that went with them. Some of them were financially just blessing them and taking care of the ministry. I will not leave them out. They were patrons, and they cared for him. Uh, there were people who were close to Jesus. But was he close to everyone? No. You must take time in January to identify those you're going to spend time with. I want you to take, by before the end of the month, identify who are going to be the people you're going to invest in. Invest in people that you believe you will have a good return. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about relationship. Who are the people they're going to be close to? Pray about it. Make decisions. Write it out. Talk to your spouse about it. And then be flexible. About four years ago, I made a list, and not one of those people I was close with that year. I thought I was. I wrote it out. I prayed. And then, actually, I didn't spend any time with them. It's just kind of how life worked. The next year, all of a sudden, I got pretty close to most of them. It was Timing is up to God, but you be ready. In my personal life, I've, during COVID, I chose to seek out three men to walk deeply with, 
to meet once a month with, to pray with, to study with, to challenge with, to be accountable to. We eat together, we talk together, we text each other, we pray for each other, we challenge each other. We refuse to be self-made men. We give each other permission to get into our lives and to grow together to Jesus Christ. Also, I eventually sought out a spiritual father and mother in the past eight years. It didn't happen overnight, but through love and trust and vulnerability, I asked two people to spiritually be my parents. Just like Paul did to Timothy in the scriptures. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't a mentorship help list or anything like that. It was someone who I give permission to look into my soul and make comments. It's called vulnerability. You don't need very many people like that in your life. In fact, I encourage you not to give very many people that key. But you need one or two. Vulnerability is giving people the permission to have a key to your house and to rearrange your furniture. It's not transparency. That's for people to look in the windows. Vulnerability is to get in the house and move the furniture. You only need a few people besides Holy Spirit and your wife to do that. That was funny, I thought. (laughs) Holy Spirit, your wife, they're often together. And then then one or two people. You, You don't do life alone anymore. Learn from my mistakes. I thought I could serve my way through and work hard. It's not how the gospel works. It's a family. It's faith. It's brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. So I encourage you. That's my second key. And doing life not alone is a major deal. But Katrina's going to come up and wrap up with the last key. And this one unlocks all those other ones. Thank you. So the last key I want to share about... Um, is I'm calling it the power of forgiveness. So several years ago, again, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I, this is who I am. I relate by sharing my life. This is, this is me. So several years ago, um, probably about five, six years ago, uh, an altercation happened with somebody and I was left deeply hurt, like wounded even, um, more hurt than I had ever, ever been more offended just more angry than I had ever experienced in my life. And I spent a lot of time after that altercation stewing on the wrong that I felt had been done to me. It was unfair. I was bitter. I was angry. And I would replay the conversation over and over and over again. And I'd think of all the things that I should have said. Or, oh, I should have said that when that was said. Or, man, if I'd said this. And every time I had that argument again in my head, I won the conversation. (laughs) So I felt really good about that. I can't imagine any of you have ever replayed conversations in your head where you've won the argument instead. That was me. So fast forward a little bit, and I was still really angry, and I was holding on to that anger. Um, I knew the word forgiveness was in there somewhere. But I felt justified not forgiving, if I'm going to be completely transparent. So Jesus says in Matthew that we should forgive 70 times 7. And I was like, but God, did you hear? Don't you remember that conversation and the things that were said against me? And, uh, and I just kept kind of going back to this, 
you're supposed to forgive. It's the right thing to do. Um, but I didn't want to. Just the soul, my, my mind, my will, my emotions, not the spirit, my soul. Um, my soul was hurt deeply. And I didn't want to forgive, and so I held on to my anger for a long time. But I knew the right thing to do was to forgive. So after weeks and weeks, I still wasn't ready, but I did start to mull around this idea of what does it actually mean to forgive? Like we say this, and I know this is the right Christian thing I'm supposed to do is forgive, but like what does it actually mean? I'd look at Mark and go, what does it mean to forgive? I sat down with Kevin and Sherry, and I'm like, what does that actually mean to forgive? Like, what is expected of me? Because frankly, I'm really ticked. And I think I have a reason to be ticked. And so I was, I was trying to gain perspective, gain understanding. I read every scripture about forgiveness. And uh, the more time that passed, I realized that these thoughts and anger that I was holding on to towards this individual were actually consuming me, and they were holding me hostage. This person had moved on, didn't bother them at all, and I was still being held back now. So I started to do that deep dive into what does that mean to be somebody who forgives? This whole forgive and forget, I just wasn't willing to do that. I was still stewing in my anger. Um, was I expected to just take that pain and those hurtful words that just kept ringing in my head? Was I just supposed to push them down? Because that's what I'd always done. A hurt and offense happens, oh, shove it down and say you forgive them, they apologize, and, you know, move on. Is that what was being asked of me? Because that didn't feel fair either. (laughs) So in this process of asking the Lord how? Because I knew that I was being held hostage. I knew that I was the one who was entering into sin. Not only had I been sinned against, but now I was walking in sin. And I knew it, but I was still so mad. And so I looked up um, some reading, because I'm a reader, and uh, I found a book by Archbishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter. And I thought, if there's anybody who knows about forgiveness, it's got to be black South Africans who lived through apartheid. They've got to have some handle on what forgiveness means. So I read this book called The Book of Forgiving, written by him and his daughter. And he outlines four processes. It's a fourfold process, according to him. And I thought, okay, I am, this is me. I'm a checklist. I'm a logical. I'm a type A person. Like, give me the list. I'll write it down. I'll check it off. I'll, you know, do the things I need to do to get past this. So step one, they say, tell the story. Now, of course, you pick appropriately who you're going to tell the story to. So my husband is the one who knew the whole story. Uh, step two is to name the hurt. So I had, to, I had to really get real here because I was holding on to some anger. Name that hurt and be specific. Step three was grant forgiveness. And that was a choice. And I was working on that one. But step four is actually what did it for me. It was to renew or release the relationship. And that was powerful. Step four set me free. I was finally ready to forgive because I recognized that this broken relationship and this altercation that had happened, I was now in sin. 
I was angry and I was holding on to it. And it was holding me back from pursuing all that God had for me. So I was ready to give forgiveness to somebody who hadn't asked. Somebody who wasn't apologetic for what had been done. But I knew that I still needed to extend forgiveness to this person because I didn't want to be shackled to the hurt any longer. So I had the choice to renew this relationship or to release the relationship. And I chose to release the relationship. And in that, though that was a hard decision and it was a painful decision, I released the bonds, I released the chains, I released the weight, I released the hurt, and I released the anger all at the same time. Because I didn't want to be bound by this anymore. I didn't want to spend any more time stewing on this. I was ready to move on. I was ready to move forward. So sometimes forgiveness is given for the sake. Sometimes somebody asks for forgiveness, and you offer forgiveness, and it's for them. And sometimes they don't ask. And you still have to think about how are you going to forgive? Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing, are you going to walk the journey that I walked that took a long time, months of me feeling angry and hurt and justified in my hurt, but I was just holding on to that for all the wrong reasons. So fast forward to this year. There's situations at work. I'm sure there's opportunities in your life where offenses come, where people say things that are hurtful. There's interactions with family members or friends who say things that are hurtful or create offenses. But now that my identity, that identity question, whose am I? I'm a daughter. I'm no longer just a friend or a servant. I'm a daughter. Now that I see myself as a daughter seated at that beautiful table, that banqueting table that is just overflowing with goodness, I feel better equipped now to handle all of those offenses that come. There are times where literally I had to tell myself, like literally the words were, keep your butt in seat one. (laughs) Because there was an onslaught of things being told to me and my soul wanted to react. I wanted to justify. I wanted to explain. I wanted to stick up for myself. And I'm not saying that you should be a whipping boy where, you know, you're getting beat up all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Healthy boundaries are super important. But rather than pick a fight or create a bigger issue and take a mole hill and turn it into a mountain, I just was able to experience the hurt, experience the offense, and tell myself, keep your butt in seat one. Do not lose yourself in the midst of this. And that has made all the difference. When you know whose you are and offenses come, you aren't easily unseated. So I'm going to invite Mark to come back up and hopefully our four keys have given you something to think about this week. So just to review those keys, uh, well, you went first. Yeah, what was my first one? (laughs) Nope. Asking the wrong question. Put me on the spot there. I forgot for a second. Asking the wrong question. That was key number one. Yeah, we don't ask who am I? We ask, whose am I? The next key that I said is show up as a son or daughter, not as a servant. The third key was love everyone, but invest in a few. And the last key was the power of forgiveness. So take those four keys, write them down. 
I know there's a lot to journey. That was an eight-year journey for us on those four keys. Next week, we're going to share four more keys because God has been working on us and working on us. And I know whatever he gives us, he will give you and more. Whatever he journeys us through, you're already there or you've gone through it and you could share with us. So let's be intentional with our lives. And that's what I wanted to, to close is the power of intentionality. When you focus, you get different results than when you're all over the place. And I, I, I was praying about that this morning. And I believe that God has a word for anyone who's been intentional in this room. If you've been intentional in the last 12 months, it might be even longer. If you've chosen to do things specifically for a reason, you did them by faith and you focused. I have a word for you. And I believe that God is going to bring a harvest to those who've been intentional. If you've been intentional to sow seed in specific areas of your life, Mike and Amy, I really felt this is a word for you guys. You've been intentional with your life. God's going to bring a harvest to you in this season. I say that with great celebration. And whatever he can do for Mike and Amy, he's not favoring one man or woman above anyone else. He loves us all. It's our choice to be generous receivers and then be intentional and so very specifically and, you know, love everyone, but invest in a few. So I encourage you, if you have been being intentional in your life, I want you to thank God and just welcome that harvest into your life today. Say, God, thank you. You've helped me in this one specific area. And in 2023, I see the harvest coming in and I will be a generous receiver. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with us? Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. And those online, thank you for being with us. We believe this is just the beginning. We believe that God is always has more for us. We believe that he's for us and not against us. We believe we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we're excited to walk with you. After the service, if you like prayer, maybe you'd like to accept Jesus Christ in your life. Maybe you feel like you're not a child of God because you don't trust him. If you'd like to go through that process and pray to God, come uh, to the altars afterwards and we'll pray with you. We want to speak love over you. We're excited to be with you next week at 10 o'clock. So God bless you and have a great week. Thank you.